Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Jar. My name's Chris, and we're so glad that you're here on uh, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And if you are a uh, middle school student or you have a child that is in grades 6 through 8, we have something called our middle school experience that they can be a part of. And in the uh, back right corner down here on the main level is uh, Don Richmond, who's our student ministry uh, director, and you can go there and uh, she'll uh, escort you uh, to the uh, elevator. If you're up in the balcony and you're in grade six to eight, if you'll go up the stairs uh, here in the right corner, they'll meet you at the elevator and uh, they'll have a wonderful experience there. They'll be in the studio theater, and so uh, afterwards, parents, just remember you got to go pick them up. Okay, we are not keeping your middle school students. All right. So uh, if you want to go to that, uh, that would be great. Well, let's uh, pray, and then we'll uh, jump in. Well, God, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. And we ask right now that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would come and speak to us. God, all of us come with something that we want to hear from you. And uh, I ask, Lord, that even if we're uh, new to faith, and this is the first time that we're Uh, at church or checking uh, the jar out that you would speak to that person and for the person who is deep in their faith and have been here for a long time that you would speak to them take any way anything away from me god that would be an impediment to them and we ask right now that you would touch lives and hearts that you would uh, guide us and that we would learn the thing that you want us to know the most so that your name would be made great we pray this in jesus name Amen. would like to begin this morning by asking you this question right here. If you could think of one word that could change your life, what word would you choose? So if you could think of one word that could change your life, what word would you choose? I want you to give that one word to the person beside you, but you can't say God or Jesus, okay? Because that's a given. So go ahead, talk to the person beside you. One word that could change your life. Okay, is anyone brave enough to share your one word out loud? Just shout it out, okay? Whoa, hold on, one at a time. Go ahead. Faith? Faith, okay. Anything else? Love, okay. Money! Money, 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 money! Yeah, we had somebody yell in the first one, the lottery, you know, like that was going to do it. Anyone in the balcony? One word. Obey, okay. So all of these words are important. They all can impact our life. But what I want to talk about today uh, is this particular uh, word. Uh, Not those words. Um, There! This is the word. Okay? And what is that word? Thanks. Right. So before Thanksgiving, uh, we want to get better at thanks. Now... Uh, growing up as a child, uh, my mom wanted to make sure that we were uh, thankful kids. And so anytime we would get anything from, um, you know, a stranger or a relative or a family member or someone in the church, she would want us to say thanks. And the way that she would do this is she would take her bony elbow and she would place it in our rib cage, okay? And then she would whisper like no one else heard, say it, say it. 
And we would have to go, thanks, you know. And pretty soon what happened was I got conditioned that every single time I saw the elbow coming my way, I'd just be like this, thanks, thanks, thanks. It didn't matter what it was. You know, that's what I was going to do. And the fun part is now I have kids, and I want them to be grateful and thankful. And so, you know, they're 11 and 9 now, and sometimes they don't always say thanks. And so when they don't, I pull out the elbow. Bam! You know, like right into them. And all of a sudden now they're like, thanks, thanks. But, but the reality is, folks, we want our kids to be that way. And we like people who are grateful and thankful. There's something about it that we're just excited when someone says thanks. We want them to have that kind of attitude. Because thanks is a good word. It's a polite word. It's a nice word. It's a kind word that we could say. Now, most of us would agree that thanks is a good word to live with, and even more so, it is a good word to say. And Paul, the guy who wrote close to half of the New Testament, actually gives us kind of this mind-blowing insight to thanks uh, in uh, 1 Thessalonians, and we'll look at it now. It says this, give what? What's the word? Thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, the word will here uh, comes from the Greek word uh, thalo. And uh, the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, was all written in Greek. And so uh, the words in Greek actually have more than just like a one-word definition. It gives a, a concept. And the concept that this word will says is it's God's best offer to people which can be accepted or rejected. God gives us his best offer, his will, and we can choose whether we're going to accept it or reject it. So essentially, what Paul is saying is that there are two different ways that you can live your life. You can either live a thankful life or you can live a thankless life. And those two things take you in very different directions. Now, the reality is, is that our life is tough. Many things come our way. There isn't a day or a week or a month or a year that circumstances don't hit our lives and something makes us struggle. And when that comes, we have a choice to make. It's like there is a crossroad or a fork that comes. So we're coming into life and we hit this circumstance in our life. And we have a choice at that point. Either we're going to go the thankfulness kind of way, which is God's best for everyone's life here, or we will go down a thanklessness way, which leads you away from God. And every single day, you have that choice of which way that you will go. And when you're going down this, it's all based upon a thankful attitude. You choose which road you're going to have. The circumstances are going to take place no matter what, but you choose which way you're going to go. Because when it comes to me and where I'm going on this path, and when it comes to all of you and where you're going on this path, the choice is up to you. Will you choose thankfulness or will you choose thanklessness? But attitude is everything. Now, back to Paul's words again. He says, give thanks in 
all circumstances. What he doesn't say is give thanks for all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Folks, there are a lot of things in life that are difficult. And there are things that we don't give thanks for, but we can give thanks in. Because the reality is, is that all circumstances are not good. There's a lot of bad, wouldn't you agree with me, in this world, in this life. Uh, When a little child from a third world country is taken away from their parents and sold into sex trafficking, that's bad. That's really bad. That's evil. When world leaders take uh, the portion of taxes that they've taken from the people and they put it in a Swiss bank account and they allow their people to starve, that's evil. That's bad. When people betray us, that's bad. When we're persecuted, it's bad. When we're tortured, it's bad. There's a lot of bad and evil stuff in our world. So not all the circumstances that hit our life are good. For example... Cancer is bad. It doesn't matter what you say. It's bad. None of us go, oh, could I get some cancer in my life, you know? Or, hey, could someone else get cancer? Uh, I want to get more thankful, so send me some cancer. No, no, no. It's bad. Cancer is bad. Child abuse is bad. There are things that happen in our world that are bad, and we don't give thanks for those circumstances. But when the circumstances come, whatever they are, we can give thanks. Because God is bigger than what the circumstance is. And in time, he will bring good out of something. Have you ever noticed you've gone through a difficult circumstance maybe in your life and it was so horrible and you didn't think anything good could come out of it. And then you wait a year or two and you're like, wow, that grew character in me. It grew faith. It allowed me to get closer to someone had that not happened. Today, maybe you're going through a circumstance in your own life. And you're feeling the pain of that circumstance. You're feeling the hurt of that. And maybe you have doubts that you can give thanks in the midst of it. And some of you might be asking this question this morning. God, can you really bring good out of a bad circumstance? Can God really bring good out of a bad circumstance? Well, I want you to know he can't. For example, uh, let's think of the crucifixion. Jesus dies on a cross. Was that bad? Yeah. Like it was really, really, really bad. It was horrible. They beat him. They spit on him. They nailed him to a cross. They put him on a cross, uh, Jesus on a cross, to have a shameless criminal death. But did God bring any good out of that? Yeah. Yeah like the salvation of the entire world. And if you're like, I don't even know what that word means. It means to make whole or complete. When Jesus came, he said, I want to make all things whole and complete in your life while you're here on earth and as we get to the point of when you would be in heaven. Because God specializes in bringing good out of bad. For example, the night before Jesus actually goes to a cross and Uh, is killed upon the cross. It's really weird what Jesus says sometimes uh, when you think of the circumstances going around. Because the night before, this is what he says. Jesus took some bread and he gave what? He actually gives thanks 
and he broke it. And what people didn't realize, that's exactly the thing that's going to happen to him the next day. He is going to be broken, and he gives thanks to God for that because he believed that no matter what the circumstance was, there could be good that comes out of it. Another time, one of Jesus' closest friends, a guy by the name of Lazarus, has died. It's one of his best friends. And Jesus gets there, and we find out that he's been dead for four days. And Jesus is so overwhelmed. It's the shortest uh, scripture in the entire Bible. It just says that Jesus wept. He was so sad. And then he does something that you wouldn't expect. He prays, and the first words that come out of his mouth are this. Jesus said, Father, I what? Next two words. Thank you. What? Your friend's dead? And the very first thing you do is you say, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He says, thanks. In the wake of pain, in the wake of loss, in the times that were so unexpected, Jesus had a thankful attitude. And it's this idea of thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances, but in that he teaches to the disciples and he longs and desires for you and for me to walk in that same light. Because living a life of thankfulness is what God says is the best way to live. And this kind of leads us to our big idea this morning for you to live out this week, and it's this. Say thanks, it could change your life. As you walk through your day, If you're able to be thankful and grateful, if you say thanks, it actually could change your life. And I've seen it with so many people who maybe were thankless and ungrateful and then it turned around simply by being able to say the word. Now, we're not just saying the word alone, though. We actually want to live a lifestyle of thankfulness. I mean, you don't want to be like me with my mom and her elbow. You know, it's like coming here. Like, thanks. Open the door. Thanks. Go to the restaurant. Thanks. Go to the B&B. Nobody said it, you know. Go to the B&B. You say thanks, you know. Instead, what Jesus is saying is that I want you to have a thankful lifestyle, a thankful heart, a thankful mind. And there's a story that we're going to look at today about Jesus teaching his disciples, learning to live a life of thankfulness. And he gives an example of a powerful kind of miracle that he does in the midst of this. Now, before we get to the story, I want to kind of give you a context or kind of the uh, background of what's going on. When Jesus comes onto the scene, folks, no one is following him at the age of 30. And he reaches out to a guy named Andrew who we're going to talk about today, and he says, I'll follow you, and so does his brother Peter. And pretty soon, a few other people do, and a few others. And eventually, though, this thing kind of like explodes, and there are like thousands and thousands of people that are following him. And there's so many people that are following him that Jesus realizes, I have to have a place that they could actually all hear me. So he goes up on a hillside, and this is where our story begins. It says, when Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him. Um, we actually know that he had 5,000 men that were following him. So if you had the women in there and you had some kids, you might be at 15,000 people or more. So this is a large crowd coming to him. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Wouldn't you have liked to have been Philip that day? What are you asking me? I'm following you, dude. 
And why did Jesus ask him? Because this area was Philip's hometown. This is where he was from. He knew all of the places to get the food. You know, he, he knew every McDonald's and every Pizza King. You know, like he knew where he could get some stuff to feed these people. And that was their best bet. But look at what Philip responds to him. This is what Philip says. It would take almost a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. He's kind of like, Jesus, I don't know if this is a really good idea. Because this is what happens. He focuses on what they lack, what they don't have, and it makes sense. Now you might say, well, why doesn't he have more faith? Well, you put yourself in Philip's uh, place. 15,000 people, they're hungry. They've been following him. Jesus says, what are you going to do? And he's like, ah, I don't know. Don't ask me. And do you know why this was so difficult for Philip? Because 70% of the people that were following him, 70% of the people in that day would have been at extreme poverty level. In other words, they're just trying to get enough for today. They're not thinking about tomorrow. And they've been following this guy. And if they eat tonight, it's going to be because of him. 70% scarcity was what the world was all about within this time. I mean, obviously, they don't have enough resources to feed all these people. And so Philip's like, hey, hey, Jesus, um, you crazy, man, you crazy. This is not going to work. This is not going to happen. And you know what happens when poor people borrow money off rich people? You become slaves. It's not like you just have debt and you can file bankruptcy. You actually became a slave in that day to that person. And Philip is like, Jesus, if we borrowed this kind of money to feed all of these people, the movement isn't going to keep on going. We're not going to keep growing like this, Jesus, if we do this. Um, Jesus, I want to tell you something. This isn't a good idea. Have you ever told God that before in your life? Uh, God, since you want me to do this, but I don't think it's a good idea. Um, I feel this prompting. I don't think it's a good idea. Folks, so much of my life has been this argument with God when he tries to speak into my life. And I'm like, ah, not a good idea right now, but talk to me in a couple months. You know, I'll, I'll do it then. And so you have this one guy, Philip, that he looks at this. And he's like, this isn't a good idea. But Philip isn't the only disciple that's there. They're, they're all there. And one guy in particular, a guy by the name of Andrew's there. And I told you earlier, he was the first one that Jesus had called. And he looks at the situation and he has a totally different read on this circumstance. Now, the circumstances are exactly the same, but how these two guys perceive this is very different, and it takes us in different ways. Andrew says this, Here is a boy, I see this boy, he has five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? He's kind of like, Hey, I see something here. Maybe it would work. I, I don't know, I've seen Jesus do some stuff, so maybe there would be some wonder. You see, Philip is focused on his want, and Andrew is focused on his wonder. Even in the midst of what seems impossible, Andrew sees the possibility. Now, I'd like all of you to look at this picture here for a second, 
And again, the person beside you or the person in front of you or behind you, explain what you see, okay? So go ahead, tell the person beside you, what do you see? Now, I have a feeling that if you were really, really honest and you weren't in church, many of you, I would say half of you, would actually say, that's half empty. I'm telling you, girl, right now, that thing is half empty. It is half empty. Now, the other half of you probably would say, wow, that's half full. Now, the reality is, folks, we go through circumstances in life in which we often are able to look at things that are exactly the same circumstance, but depending upon our thankful barometer, it's either half full or half empty. Philip sees the circumstances of these 15,000 people, and he's focusing on his want. Andrew has a different attitude altogether, and he has this attitude of wonder, like maybe what could happen. You see, folks, the truth is this. We default to want instead of embracing the wonder of the moment. You and I have a tendency to default to want instead of embracing the wonder of the moment. You do that, I do that, everyone does that. We fall into the shoes of Philip. And you see that in multiple different ways. For example, let's think of the very first story of the Bible, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are given this garden, and what do they want? The fruit that God said they couldn't have. Now, they have the beauty and the wonder of all of this stuff that they can enjoy. It's paradise on earth. And no, they choose their want. For some of us, we want more money, or we want a bigger car, or we want a bigger house, or we want this job, we want something. And so we hurry, 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 hurry. I gotta make this, I gotta do this. We hurry our life around so much because we want something and we lose the wonder of the relationships that are around us. For some of us, we take our want and it replaces our wonder. And this is for me. One of the things I want often is to be in control of my circumstances. And when I do that, often I miss the wonder that is around me. My wife Jennifer this uh, past September was invited uh, by her new job to go to a conference in Vermont. And uh, they were going to pay for everything. And so we started talking and we're like, hey, you know, um, we should actually maybe... Uh, see if you could go with me. I mean, we, we're not going to pay for, you know, everything, but we could pay for the airline. And uh, we hadn't been away uh, from those uh, two beautiful children, animals, that uh, we, uh, <clears throat> for about five years. And so, uh, you know, we were like, well, yeah, let's do this. And so um, we thought, well, we can, you know, pay for, um, you know, uh, food, and, and, but the lodging's taken care of. And we just do the, the plane ticket and the food. And uh, we got there and we decided, hey, yeah, that's what we're going to do. And during the day, I worked in the, the hotel room and she went to her conference. And then we got to about the middle of that week and we get a phone call from, my, uh, from our babysitter who basically tells us that 
If you remember in September, there was a guy who murdered another guy, and the guy who murdered the guy was loose. And he was gone for like two days. And we had no idea about this, but it was big news here in Muncie, in the state, and hit nationally. And the babysitter calls us and says, um, uh, basically, this guy's loose, and they think he might be in your neighborhood. Anyone looking for a new babysitting job? No, I'm joking. And we're like, you know, kind of freaking out about this. We're overwhelmed by it. We're like, ah, what are we going to do? And so we're talking on the phone, and, uh, you know, we're anxious about everything. And the circumstances are not going to change with any of our anxiety or fear or anything else. But we're anxious, like, what's going to happen with our kids? And eventually, um, we decided they could stay with my parents who lived in another neighborhood and that they would be safe. And Jennifer and I get off the phone, and we've made the decision, but we're still like, these are our kids, you know. They're 11 and 9, and we're, we're worried about them. And all of a sudden, we're talking, and we're on this bench, and we're talking to each other, and I look up, and this is what I see. And this is Lake Champlain in Burlington, Vermont. And all of a sudden, I got a prompting from God, not audibly, but just in my spirit, that said, Chris, embrace the beauty of the moment. And all of a sudden, I looked at that, and then I sensed that God was saying, I've got your girls taken care of. You don't have to worry about that. But embrace the beauty of this moment. And all of a sudden, there was a peace that came upon me and on Gen 2, and we prayed together, and all of a sudden we're like, you know what, God, God has the girls in his hand. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to be fearful about that. We can trust in him. Folks, in your journey of life, it's very important that you not lose the wonder that you see right around you. Don't allow the circumstances that you're facing to still the wonder of God's beauty around you. Well, let's go back to the story. Remember, uh, if we pull it back up again, that uh, Andrew says these words, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? So here's Andrew, and he thinks, well, maybe Jesus would do something big, but what he notices is something very, very small. And look at the specifics of this. He says, five small barley loaves. He could have just said any kind of bread. It wouldn't have mattered. But he actually uses the word barley. Why? Because barley was the cheapest bread you could think of during that time. And then he goes on to say, and two small fish. So he's not talking about Alaskan salmon that weighed 50 pounds. He's talking about sardines. So basically this Little kid has some nasty bread and two little sardines. And Andrew, because he's been around Jesus enough, he starts wondering, like, well, maybe they could do something with that. It's very, very ordinary meal. It's a poor man's meal. And, folks, when we're going to live in the attitude of gratitude, when we're going to have thanks, if we're going to live God's best for our life on that thankfulness path, it requires us to pay attention to the small things that might be around us that we sometimes walk by. But it also calls us to pay attention to the things that maybe we don't even see God 
working in. I read this story this week about a woman who uh, had been diagnosed with breast cancer, very, very severe and aggressive, and she had uh, two small children. And she recently uh, was interviewed uh, by a magazine, and she was telling her story, and she had gone through 80 different chemo treatments. And she's still very sick, but she just has chosen not to compromise her wonder. And at the end of the interview, this is what she said about her last two days. She said, in the past two days, I've gone to a birthday party, a wedding, a church, and on a walk. Not to brag or anything, but my life is amazing with a side of awesome. Don't you love that? But how many people do you encounter that are going through a difficult circumstance who literally can say, you know what, my life is amazing with a side of awesome. For me, most of the time, when I think of something very basic like a walk, this is what I think of because this is my routine. I walk a mile, I stretch, and then I have to run two and a half miles and I almost die every time. Then after that, I... Stretch again because old people have to stretch a lot. And, uh, you know, I didn't have to do that. When I was in my 20s, you just go do whatever. You get in your 40s, you stretch a lot. Some of you are like, that's what I have to look forward to. And if you're older than that, you're like, stretch? What's that? I haven't done that in years. Um, So either way, you're at a different place. But, folks, uh, this woman lives with wonder, even though the circumstances in front of her are extremely difficult. And folks, wonder is that means by which we open ourselves up to God and allow Him to work within our lives. I experience the best of my life. And so each day, again, it goes right back to our kind of crossroad. The circumstance comes, whatever it is. And will you choose thankfulness or will you choose thanklessness? Are you going to choose God's best for your life? Which the best for your life, folks, is to live a life of gratitude or will you go down that thanklessness where it always leads you away from God? And we choose that every single day. So my question for you is which path are you on? Which one would you choose to go on? Well, you always say, oh, I want to be thankful. But, folks, it's hard to do. It's really hard to do. Are you walking through life frustrated by what you're missing, which is a thanklessness, or do you walk through life being grateful for what you have in front of you? How could you choose this week to be more like Andrew, who sees wonder and possibility and less like Philip? Maybe for some of you, the reality is you just need to slow down. Your life is so fast right now that you don't even see the wonder around you. Everything's scheduled, and you don't have a moment to just be. Maybe for some of you, it's to open your eyes up to to be in God's creation more, to see that, and to find that maybe the mundane, the small things that maybe you walk by actually are those things where God can fill your life. Like I said, I run. and That's kind of my thing that I try to do to stay in shape. And so three days a week I run. And uh, on Wednesdays, uh, I've decided it's too cold to run outside. So on Wednesdays, I go to the YMCA, and that's where I run. And here's my routine. And this is what I want to do on a good Wednesday. 
I walk in. I give my little badge number. No one talks to me. I immediately go to the uh, locker room. I get dressed. I go in the fitness center. I walk a mile. I stretch. I run. Walk another mile. Go take a shower and then get out of there within less than an hour. That's what I want. And so for two months, I've been able to do this with no problem whatsoever. But because I was talking about thankfulness, um, the last couple of weeks I've been praying, hey God, uh, make me more thankful. Help my eyes to be open to see things around me, to see the people around me. So I uh, got to the Y and before I walked in, I said, God, thank you for today. Help me to be a thankful person when I walk in this place and put somebody in my path that I could show your love to. Well, as I'm getting to the locker room, this is who I meet. This is Bobby. Bobby has a cognitive delay, and it's difficult to fully understand some of the things that he says. But he's a really hard worker. And for two months, Bobby, I have seen, but I passed him by. Have you ever done that before? There are people that you see, but you don't really see because you're thinking about your want. And what I want is a quick workout. But on this day, it was different. And so I get to the locker room, and Bobby's there, and all of a sudden he's working, and I go, hey, Bobby, how you doing today? I didn't even know his name, but he had it on his name tag. It was upside down like this, and so I'm kind of going like this. I'm sure he was thinking, you got cognitive delay too, you know? Um, Because I'm looking like this. I'm like, oh, yeah, Bobby. And then I said, well, how are you doing? And he said, I'm doing fine. I get to go home at 4 o'clock. And I said, well, cool. I said, I'm I'm glad to hear that. And all of a sudden I said, I just want to thank you for picking up the towels and cleaning the Y because I really appreciate it. And all of a sudden he starts getting kind of choked up a little bit. And then he has this big smile. Like somebody, somebody noticed me today. And I leave from the locker room and I go into the fitness center and I'm about 30 minutes into my workout when all of a sudden I look around. There are six other people who are working out as well. And Bobby walks in and he starts picking up towels that people have left or he picks picks up the cleaning solution bottles that nobody puts back to where it's supposed to be to take care of the fitness stuff. And he's picking it all up. And I notice nobody really reaches out to him. I'm finally done with my workout, and I walk up, and there's a little bottle there, and I pick it up, and I go, here, Bobby, I just want to thank you so much for what you do for us. And again, this great big smile. Now, folks, I don't deserve anything of a clap or, oh, look at our pastor. He's so amazing. Because you know what? For two months, I walked by him every single time. Because what I was focusing on was my want, not the wonder of what God might do within that particular moment. Well, the story on the hillside finally ends, but it's not just with wonder, but it actually goes back to gratitude and thankfulness. And we're able to see the world differently, and this is how it ends. Jesus then took the loaves. Remember those five barley pieces of bread. And what's he do? What's the next two words? What did he do? He gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish, those two sardines. 
he gives thanks. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now, I was thinking about it. If I'm in Jesus' shoes, I think what I would do is like break the bread, pass out the fish, and let's see how well the multiplication happens. Because I don't want to say thanks on the front side and then feel very embarrassed when everybody's like, dude, there's 15,000 of us and you got two sardines. Like, where's it at? Uh, See, I'm the kind of person who has a tendency sometimes to wait and pray until after the cancer is cured, until after the need is met, until after people are fed, until after the child is healed, until after the broken heart is mended. And then once something happens that's good, then I'm easily able to say thank you. But Jesus is not that way. Jesus doesn't roll that way. The way Jesus rolls is before anything happens, he gives thanks to God. Jesus gives thanks to the Father. He breaks the bread. He passes it out. And the Scripture says that people are around there looking like, is there going to be enough? Is there going to be enough? Well, just to let you know, there was leftovers with Jesus. There was actually how many uh, baskets left? Twelve. He had five pieces of bread and two fish, but in the hands of Jesus, it was more than abundant for it to be taken care of. And I think there were some people in that crowd that were thinking about this, and they're like, it's happening. And some of you are like, what do you mean it's happening? What are you talking about, Chris? Well, there was a guy that preceded Jesus. It was his cousin. It was a guy by the name of John the Baptist. And before Jesus even came on the scene, John starts talking about what Jesus is going to do. And one day, he said these words. He said, we all live off his, that is, Jesus' generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. Folks, what Jesus knew is that all uh, the wonder leads to God. All gifts lead to the giver because there is no one who gives more than God himself. And so Jesus gives thanks. And when he said this, all of a sudden scripture says there was so much to feed them that they even have leftovers of 12 baskets because you can't outgive God. On that day on the hillside, Jesus used some bread and some fish and he fed a lot of people. But this is really what's for you and I today. He gave a profound statement, folks, of what his kingdom looks like. That if you choose a thankfulness path of being thankful to God, you learn about who this king is. That it's grace upon grace, gift upon gift. And the more we live with wonder, the more that we have thankfulness and gratitude in our heart, we learn to understand the king of our heart, the one who created our heart and our being. So let me just close with this question. When you look at this graph, this crossroad of thankfulness and thanklessness, if you had to write down a percentage of how much of your life do you live with thankfulness and God's best for your life, what percentage would it be? 10%, 30%, 50%, 90%? And in the same way, 
How much do you live with a thanklessness that leads you away from God and you're always thinking about your want and what you don't have rather than what God has blessed you with? Now, to try to help you to be able to have a more thankful attitude, when you walked in today in your cup holder, you should have received a little notebook like this. I'd like you to pull it out. And uh, if you don't have one, uh, raise your hand and uh, one of our uh, people will get that for you. Um, there's some up here, um, but you may not want to go. But I'd like you to pull it out, so go ahead and uh, just raise your hand. We'll get this to you. This is worth the price of admission. So like if you fell asleep during some part of it, which I heard so No, I'm joking. Um, what you can do is we can actually uh, get it all together by just doing this at the very end. So when it comes to thankfulness, how thankful are you? How much do you thank your spouse, your friends, your family, uh, total strangers? How, how many times do you notice the bobbies in your life and you're asking God to put people in your life so that you could be thankful? So several years ago, I created this concept called Three Things I'm Thankful For. And we would just give this little uh, memo pad to people and we'd say, I am thankful for. And then you open up the first page. So open up the first page, everybody. And you write down three things you're thankful for. Big things, little things, in-between things, whatever it is, you write it down. And you do this each night before you go to bed so that as you're going through your next day, you end your day being thankful and you wake up being thankful. So what I'd like you to do right now, we'll give you some mood music, is I want you to fill out your first page because you're more likely to do it tonight if you do it right now. So I'd like you to write down three things that you're thankful for, whatever it is. Go ahead. Lately I've been really watching the nightly news. Don't seem to find the rhythm. Just want to sing the blues. Feels like a song that never stops. Feels like it's never gonna Gotta get that fire, fire back in my bones Before my heart, heart turns into stone So when somebody please pass the megaphone You got your three things? Did you write it down? Okay. Now, uh, the hard thing is going to be for you to remember to do this each day. So what I'd like you to do is to take this home and to place it by your nightstand or your night table, and then each night before you go to bed, you just write down three things that you're thankful for. Now, what was funny last night, my wife Jennifer and I were getting ready to go to bed, and uh, I had not done this. And I was turned over, and she could tell I was getting ready to start breathing, you know, like heavy because I'm so exhausted and tired. And uh, she said, you know, you're teaching on thankfulness tomorrow. And so I pulled it out, and I wrote down my three things that I was thankful for. And I went to bed with a thankful heart, and I woke up today with a thankfulness that oozed out of me, not because circumstances in my life had changed or were different, but because who I was thinking was different. So what I want to challenge you to do, starting today until the end of the year, is that you place that by your nightstand or a table and you just write down three things you're thankful for. And I'm telling you, it will change the trajectory of your life. 
Because when we live a life of thanks, we get to understand who is the king of our heart. And we're able to see the good things that he gives to us. That he never lets us down because he's so good to us. And so I'm going to invite you to stand now as the band closes us with a song.